What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Into the Light podcast. We are so excited for our episode <laughs> this week. And Bray's going to introduce our guest. Yes! Uh, we have Rachel Wasden on our podcast today. And Rachel is, again, one of our really good friends in the ward. And <laughs> Rachel's from Spanish Fork, Utah. She's lived 10 years in Utah, 10 years in New Jersey, East Coast girl. She goes to BYU. She's studying, she's deciding what business category she wants to study. So she's applying this summer and she's going to kill anything she does because she's actually a very driven human being. But <laughs> me and Aaron are in the same ward, obviously, as, as Rachel. And Rachel was sharing her testimony one Sunday, as she's done incredibly every single time she does. And Aaron's on the stand, and I text Aaron, and I say, Aaron, we got to get her on. So, she's here. Yeah, we were thinking the exact same thing. Yeah. Oh, you were? I think, I think you were up there, and you were talking about, you are talking about your mission, which we're going to get into later, but you're also talking about when you asked all your kids at Unani, oh. what is love? Yes. And everybody was just like, you just touched everybody's heart like right off the bat. We're like, we got to. <laughs> that was so fun. We got to have Rachel on. So welcome to the podcast, Rachel. Thanks for being here. I'm so happy. This is so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> Let's jump into it. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. So we wanted to start out with your childhood. Kind of tell us a little bit about the house that you grew up in and what role the gospel played in it. Yeah. So I was raised in a very gospel-centered home, both my parents were members my dad was normally part of the bishopric so just like I didn't get to interact with him in church a lot but I always saw him on the stand so I, I don't know just like from a young age I just knew like this is important this is where my dad is and where he spends a lot of his time and my mom was really focused on it as well but she was more interactive with us we had like priesthood interviews every Sunday so we'd sit we'd stay in our church clothes and we'd sit in with dad and he'd interview us on how we were doing with personal progress or, or faith in God or activity Aww. days and, and how we were doing. And so it, it was just a very big deal. And I remember like from a very, I feel really blessed because like I was able to kind of get a testimony from them before I built my own. And that I think changed a lot of how I viewed life mm -hmm. from a really young age. Yeah. When do you think you developed your own testimony? Like mainly? Yeah. So I feel like a testimony is a ton of different parts. Yeah. And so I, it was definitely over time, like piece by piece. But I'm going to be honest, like it was it was at a really young age. And again, like I feel very blessed to be able to say that just because of how much I was in the church. But I remember my first prayer being answered when I was four. And mm -hmm. that's when I knew prayer was real. And I remember feeling like like praying about Joseph Smith when I was seven years old and feeling so strongly just to the point of tears as a seven year old that I knew Joseph Smith was a prophet. And like I will never doubt that because of that experience when I was seven. So it's just like pieces like that that have built yeah. up over time. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't one age, but it was just like years of those little experiences and answered prayers and that I'm so grateful for. That's awesome. Do you feel like, at what point do you feel like you kind of became super independent with your own church knowledge and testimony to the point you felt confident, like in your relationship with God? <laughs> I, just my personality, I think I can't even now say like I'm super confident. Like there's always things I want to improve. There's always, always yeah, yeah. questions I have, but I think that's healthy and I think that's, for me, it's good because it drives me. So I don't feel like I can say an age for that because I don't feel like I'm there yet. But I would say I felt settled in the gospel and I knew for myself that this is true and I would go even if my parents didn't go, probably in junior high, mm. if that 
it's I don't remember anything in particular, but just realizing like that it that it's where I wanted to be. That's awesome. And at this point, you were in Utah, right? Yeah, yeah. And how was how was kind? Of, I kind of want to talk about that. <laughs> the difference between like <laughs> church going in New Jersey and the church going in here, because that's like yeah, so different, very different. <laughs> Rando, because from- then you get like put in this bubble. New Jersey oh. to Spanish Fork, <laughs> Utah even, Valley. Yes, even as a 10-year-old, you can just feel the bubble. Oh, when my gosh. I'm so glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> horrible. Well, I was like the only kid in my ward. Well, I was for sure the only girl my age in my ward. And then my Sunday school class had like three or four boys that like switched in and out. But like I was the only little girl. So like I had a really cool relationship with a lot of like the older people in my ward. Because mm-hmm. they just didn't like experience kids in the gospel you know and so it's like like I just had such a cool relationship with the bishop when it wasn't my dad or or, well my dad wasn't bishop in New Jersey but like when it was what's his it starts with a W anyway that's not important but like I just give him a hug every day after church just like a little five-year-old because like I was just like a kid there and then but then you go to school and you're hearing swear words when you're eight like in school like and and then you though was like in New Jersey my best friend I had two best friends one was named Itcha Singh and I love her and she um like moved here from India and then the other one was Lynn Park and she was Chinese and like and those were my two best friends and then coming here and it's like it's just very whitewashed and I think that also changes it because like my religion was something to like celebrate and like because I was celebrating other people's religions even as a little kid like it's just easy to talk about what you do on the weekend Mm -hmm. and then you come here and it's just like all of a sudden you're comparing how you live your religion to other people because mm. it's the same, but it's like so different how it's lived. Yeah. It's really interesting. That's interesting that you notice that at a 10-year-old too. Like yeah. you can notice the vast difference of diversity outside of the church and even in general as humans and non-diversity. Yeah. Well, I brought a Book of Mormon to school when I was in fourth grade because that's what I wanted to read during like personal reading time and I read it and when people would ask questions or be confused I'd be like oh that's fine because like they were a different religion but then if I tried it here in Utah like in that same like yeah fourth or fifth grade like and people were weirded out by it or judgmental yeah. that like hurt because I'm like wait you should understand that's such like an interesting yeah. you are like you do go to church on Sunday like I see you there you know it's just yeah. interesting that's crazy that's crazy was it a was it a hard adjustment for you like did you miss New Jersey when you guys moved to hear Spanish work um it it was at first, but again, like, I had no kids my age in Jersey, and then coming here, and, like, there's just children everywhere. I was like, oh, my gosh, people. Little extrovert me was so happy. <laughs> so I think it actually, that made it a lot easier transition, just to be surrounded by people. Cool. And how many siblings do you have? Two older sisters. Two older sisters. So you- did, uh, did your parents serve missions or anything? So my dad did. He served in Japan, and that was a big part of my childhood growing up. We had Japanese food every Sunday every general conference watched studio ghibli movies because it was (laughs) our family thing and my mom did not she didn't serve what what impact did your dad serving a mission have on you as a kid i look up to my dad like to be honest more than like anyone else in the world and so i have made a lot of choices simply because he made them and so i think seeing him do that like i was like this is what like he's just a good person. Like he's such a good person. So like seeing him serve really motivated me and inspired me, I think in the beginning. Yeah. That's incredible. That's like, that's something I don't think we talk about enough. Like 
your inspiration being your family or your parents specifically. Aaron talks about it all the time, so I always hear <laughs> from him. But like, I, I think that's such a cool aspect because outside of the church, that's not the norm at all. Mm-hmm. Like, I just went home for Arizona, and I love my dad to death. Like, his family, for example, not like that at all. Like, hardly any of the men that were at the family reunion last year were at the family reunion this year. So it's just so different than, yeah. like, I just, I think that that needs to be pointed out, that that is a blessing to have yeah. our dads involved in our lives. Well, the power of good parents, like the examples of good parents, can change lives. Yes, that's oh, yeah. so true. Well, Lehi talks about that, you mm-hmm. know? Like, if you get set in that way, like, you will continue. And then uh, Bednar spoke about that, too, a couple conferences ago. So, like, I think it's so true, like... The way you get set up, like, there's nature and nurture, but it does make such mm-hmm. an impact on people. Yeah. And who was it? I think President Eyring just spoke this last conference where he said, you won't be able to pass the gift of peace on to your children if you're not feeling it yourself. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And we talked about peace <laughs> a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And how peace is very much an, and I've realized since that episode, peace is an indicator of my sanity and, like, how I'm <laughs> I like really, that. In my mental health, we, you know should, we should put that on yeah. a T-shirt or something. This is an indicator of my sanity. <laughs> I love that. So I want to ask, when did you? Because we're going to talk about missions on this. When did you first decide that you wanted to serve a mission? So it was it was when I was eight. I got I preached my gospel for my bishop. They had a misprint, and so it was missing a chapter, and the twelfth chapter was first. And oh, he was that's like, funny. I got to give this to somebody. So when I got baptized, he was like do you want to serve a mission? And I was like, yeah. So he gave it to me. And then I'm like, I should probably pray about this. <laughs> so I went home. And you sound I, like such a mature eight-year-old. <laughs> if I had these thoughts when I was eight, I'd be a lot exalted. different person right now. <laughs> I think it's just an anxious eight-year-old. <laughs> so I went home and I prayed about it. And like, I just felt the spirit so strong. And I just felt like, like so clearly that I was going to serve a mission. And I, I didn't, and so, like, I remember walking upstairs to my mom, and I'm like, I'm going to serve a mission. And she's like, when? And I was like, well, either when I'm 19 or when I'm old and married. But I'm going to do one no matter what. And she was like, okay, sounds good. And then I just went back and read my little <laughs> Preach My Gospel, which I did not understand any of the words in there because I was eight. So it was not actually that impressive. <laughs> I think it's still impressive you opened it. <laughs> yeah, do you want to do you want to tell the story about how many times you've read Preach My Gospel that you read Preach My Gospel as a child? Yeah, so or as an I, adolescent, I should say. So I read that one and then I got a full-sized one when I started doing mission prep. With chapter 1 at the beginning of the book. Yeah, it was actually chapter 1 instead of chapter Yes, 12. it was it wasn't a misprint <laughs> this time I got a real one. And I did mission prep just with my ward for a year. And How old were I, you? I was four, 15. I think I was 15. I think they only wanted 16-year-olds because they wanted you to be, like, in high school. But I just sneaked in because my dad is bishop. So I was like, <laughs> we will do this. So I did that for a year. And then I did the stake one for a year. And then my senior year, I did both a stake one and a ward one at the same time. And then when I came to BYU, I did the BYU mission prep class. Was that five? I know I've taken it five times. I think that was five. Yeah, I think yeah that was five. four in high school and then once at BYU. Yeah. So I've, I've read it through all the way probably five times then. That's incredible. That is incredible. I hated permission prep. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could say I did it, but yeah, I did not enjoy going to mission prep either. Yeah, <laughs> I hated it. 
I think it's because the teacher was like so vanilla. I'm like, come on. <laughs> I said, up. <laughs> That's how I feel about everything. Spice it up. Spice it up. Let's go. <laughs> so how did how did your study of Preach My Gospel kind of affect you and your testimony growing up through like junior high, high school? Yeah, so I am going to be honest. Like I learned a lot from it, but I think more of it was just kind of an indicator of how focused I was on a mission. Like, mm-hmm. I think my personal testimony grew a lot more from the questions I was asking and, like, my Book of Mormon study mm-hmm. than, uh, than, like, mission prep and reading Preach My Gospel. But that just, it was just exciting to me. Like, it was honestly, I don't remember half the stuff we talked about, <laughs> but I just remember going there and being like, I'm preparing. Like, this is good. Like, I'm so excited. And, and it was just, like, a source of dopamine to be with all yeah. my friends, like, like, preparing for this work, you know, and like the most important work on earth. Yeah. And so how was that then when you got to the point of actually being able to decide? Yeah. What was the decision like? How was like, it? how was thing? that? Your entire life you're preparing yeah. to go on this mission. It's kind of your identity at this it point. It is. Like, it was bad. I'm it was a future missionary. Get me a future missionary tag, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then you get to the point where you actually can decide and you're like, hold up. This is real. This is real life. <laughs> what are we going to do here? So my biggest decision was if I was going to do just a semester or a full year. And my dad was very set, like, do a full year. And I just wanted to leave. Because I, I, I turned 19 in December. And so I could have, and it was the last day of finals. So I, like, could have done one semester and just set my availability date. Or I could have not even done a semester and, like, just left at finals, you know? Like, and, but I knew I wanted to do at least one semester. And then I wanted, and I was going to do a full year for my dad. But about a month in to this mission prep class and to college, I like just couldn't focus on anything else. And so I knelt down and I prayed. Oh, this is like my favorite moment. And I knelt down and I prayed and I, I told Heavenly Father, I was like, I am so excited to serve. Um, sorry, like I'm so excited to serve. Like I'd like to leave in January. If you're okay with that, I'm going to prepare, get my papers in and leave in January. And it is the closest to God, like, Except that was the closest up to that point I'd felt to God. When I got um, my temple recommended to get endowed, that is still the closest I've ever felt to God. But that moment, I just felt the spirit, like a physical being right next to me, like excited. And I usually felt like very peaceful and calm, but like in that moment, like he was so excited and I was so excited. And I was just in my room alone, like so worked up and excited, like, oh my gosh, like, And it just felt like he was so proud of me for wanting to serve. And then it just got, like, really still and really quiet. And I just heard the words, like, so clearly in my head. Like, this is the hardest thing, like, you're ever going to do or, like, you've ever done. And I was just, like, laughed. I was like, I know. Missions are hard. I can do this. (laughs) And so... It's like, all right, that's enough for All right. Like, thank you. Let's go back to being excited. (laughs) This is... And so then I just, like, journaled that right away. And I'm like, I'm leaving in January. I'm starting my papers. Like, I need to remember this. Like, how excited he felt. Like, this is going to be hard. But, like, the church is true. Christ is real. Like, the spirit is with me. And, like, it was just a really cool moment. That's awesome. I feel like that was all over the place. But, like, that's... It's just so fun. That's precious. (laughs) That's... I, I love how you talk about God, and it's because it's very much how I think and am with God. He's a very literal person to me. He's not just this, and obviously this was like a testimony that grew over time, but he's not just this arbitrary person that's like everyone talks about, and everyone says he's here with me, and everyone talks about the spirit, but 
like who like i don't feel it you know what i mean yeah very literal it's very i can have a conversation i can develop a love i can develop a relationship you know like you use yeah. those words when you talk about other humans and that's i love that's how you talk about god because that's i'm on the same page with you sister it's so true he's so divine yes. and it's like easy sometimes to remember how divine and powerful he is and it's so much harder for me to sometimes remember like he knows me, so he's going to laugh with me when I think something's funny. And yeah. he's going to cry with me when I think something's sad. And, like, that's so powerful. Like, yeah. that's even more powerful to me sometimes. Yeah, he's very literal. He's, he's divine, but he's also the most personable being Yeah. in the world, right? Yeah, yeah. because you think about, like, um, like, oh, sorry. Me, very, like, important people. You don't just, like, go up to them and, like, talk to them. Like, hi, how are you doing? You know, like, You don't like go up and start expressing your feelings yeah. to them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or, like, I would even say, like, the prophet, right? Like, yeah. authoritative people. You're not just like, what's up? I'm like, how are you? I'm so excited to see you. You know? And I feel like that's how I am with God. I'm like, <laughs> I also, I also love how you how you expressed how you felt the spirit, like excitement. I don't think that's yes. something that we've heard in all the interviews that we've done so far. Yeah, like excitement, excitement is is a really good indicator of the spirit. I think personally. Well, it caught me off guard at first to like realize like how just bubbly he was, yeah. you know. And I'm like, but that makes sense because that's how I react, mm-hmm. and he knows me, and he knows yeah. that that's how my best friends react with me, and he yeah. is my best friend. Yeah, so that's like, important. Yeah, it just really changed it and made it feel so much real, and I think that's why it hit me so hard. That's awesome. I love so that. you're you you now got this amazing experience, and now you're starting to prepare. And how is that process in the preparation part? Yeah, so I got everything done in like two days because my boyfriend at the time <laughs> was the ward secretary. So he just snug me into Bishop. <laughs> we opened them up and like I just went. And then my dentist and my doctor were two of my best friend's dads. So I got snuck into dentist, cleared off that week. And then I went into doctor. And I, I know that I had seasonal affective disorder, but it normally hits um, a little bit later. And this was second week of September and it normally doesn't hit this early and I walked into him and like that very distinct feeling that I like have recognized now as like the setting in of anxiety and and depression and just like other stuff like settled in as I was walking in and he was like he was like I know you like I've known you since you were 10 like because I he's the friend that I just walk into his house like we're just very close and so he's like I will just sign you off right now if you want like I just need you technically to be in this doctor's office so like I can feel good about it and he's like, do you have any concerns? And like, I tried to say no, and instead I just broke down into tears. And I'm like, mm. I've, I've tried meds last year. Like, I've tried meds. I've tried therapy. Like, I'm just so like, scared. Like, can you, like, I just, I just want you to know that this is still a problem, and I, and I want you, like, to help before I go. And he was like, awesome, let's do it. And so he started helping me get on meds and I just was like this makes sense like why I needed to start earlier because now I can get medicated by the time I leave in the spring like I'm like okay I'll do a full year because now I've got time to mm. kind of like handle this um so we started doing that what was the question sorry like just your preparation I'm just gonna keep before, before we keep going I would yeah would you mind just kind of explaining or describing what seasonal affective disorder is to you yeah that's a great question so for me it's like very clearly I'm like in the summertime, so from about April to late September, early October, like I'm extroverted and happy and calm and peaceful and I'm crazy high functioning, high energy, like it's just like I just feel like me and then when October settles in and it gets darker, like it's a very like clear shift and I get a lot 
it's a lot harder for me to interact with people. It's a lot harder for me to like function and be happy and mm -hmm. <laughs> and I just need a lot more support and love and 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 anyway so it's just like it's anxiety and depression but mm -hmm. following the calendar year instead of anything else yeah <laughs> so how long has this like affected you like or that you've noticed yeah when did when did you first you? find out or get diagnosed with seasonal affective disorder so my parents are very much the like don't label it that empowers it sort of thing yeah so I so we didn't talk about it at all and so I don't actually know like when I like was different because I, I just thought like it was normal life but eighth grade I actually had a panic attack that was so bad I passed out like fully and lost and then when I came to I still couldn't see and mm -hmm. I didn't have like and so it was just like pretty bad and so at that point we were like oh <laughs> this is real and so at that point is when we started but my parents had no idea what to do so I met with a counselor who like specialized in drug addicts and she'd never <laughs> she like worked with like old men and oh so I showed up and it was like it smelled like smoke and it was terrifying anyway so then I didn't do anything until my junior year so like I knew eighth grade but that was such a bad wait experience. so that was like just a really weird experience you didn't so like you're ninth, like no nah. I was like I'm done like, like no I'm fine we're great yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll work through it we're yeah. <laughs> I don't, we don't like need therapy, therapy. <laughs> big fan of therapy now want to put that out there yeah, yeah. we all are here yeah well I mean we talked about last week therapy therapists are very influential people and they're they, the most powerful people in the world and they, they really can influence your your ability to heal it's kind of better. a scary thought but it's so true yeah yeah, yeah. so what happened happened your junior year where you kind of got did in you go back school? to a therapist or a counselor your junior year i was too scared to do therapy but it got pretty bad so we started with some meds again and just started going with it and now I'm looking back and they're realizing that a lot of my anxiety and depression might actually be ADHD. So, mm. and that's been helping a ton this year. But up until that point, it was, am I allowed to talk about this? I think yeah. I am. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, talk about, so talk about anything. Okay. So was it, back then, was it like, did you get prescribed SSRIs? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And What's that? It's an antidepressant okay. medication. Yeah, it's like yeah. a serotonin. Yeah. Uh, focuses on serotonin. Selective release. serotonin reuptake inhibitor. There it is. That's the word. Psychology, guys. <laughs> okay, I have a question, and I don't want to derail, but I'm going to pee my pants. Can I go to the fast <laughs> 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 place? Okay, we're good now. Now we can, now we can focus. Okay. Okay, so we we just talked about you. We were in your junior year, right? Junior year. Oh, junior year. Yeah. Junior year, you decided you were gonna take these SSRIs. Oh yes. Okay, yeah. And yeah. So how did how did the SSRIs yeah, affect you? How'd you react to that? Not, it did not help at all. Really? So I'm. Like, SSRIs are so sporadic. Yeah. On how they affect people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like so sometimes they're helpful, sometimes they're not. Yeah, and sometimes there's crazy side effects. Sometimes people yeah. don't experience them. Like it's random. And I had no side effects, but I also had no like helpful things that yeah. came from them, and so. And we tried a couple, but I also, now looking back on it, I realized, like, now that I know a lot more, I realized they had me on such a low dose, like, mm. I don't know if it would have done anything anyway for how, like, hard it is yeah. in the winter, like, if, it, if I would have had yeah. an impact, so that was severe. How severe your kind of... Yeah. Like, your depressive episodes are. Yeah. Okay. And so that was... So now looking back and seeing, like, what I'm on now and what has, like, helped, I'm like, I think it would have worked better if we like had just tried a little 
like if I had tried a little longer, because I switched. I tried eight different kinds mm-hmm. in one winter, which I don't think is healthy for any the human. The shotgun to do. method. Yeah, I'm like, please <laughs> never again. <laughs> yeah, that's brutal. I, yeah, bless your heart, Rachel. <laughs> so you never found one that worked. No, this this winter we've tried two, and the mix that I really like is an antidepressant with ADHD medication. Because I think I think I do. I think a lot of things that I thought were my personality of being very impulsive and spontaneous and happy are actually ADHD. <laughs> and so I gotta get checked out, man. <laughs> Me and Rachel are like more similar than I've ever known anybody to be. <laughs> so where did it go after you tried all that? Like, what was the process after that? Well, every April it just fades away. So I yeah. get a break, and I'm like, oh, I guess. Like, you're fine we didn't figure it out yeah. okay we're good then I came to BYU and I did a BYU therapist which was super helpful and tried met and we started up trying meds for serious oh wait no that wasn't it was my first year of college where I tried eight meds sorry okay. that's wrong no you're good so my first year of college is when I did the shotgun methods we were trying to find that one that worked before my mission yeah but dang uh, so you from the time that you were in eighth grade you had that horrible therapist too when you were a freshman at BYU you really didn't like have any help you just grind out the winter time yeah wow and like i am like i again feel really blessed because i am crazy high functioning like my grades have never failed i've mm-hmm. always been able to keep a job like like i don't have it very bad it just compared to how i know who i am and i know how i feel like and then having that like that's what's hard and it affects my testimony probably more than like other things mm. in good and bad ways because i become a lot more dependent and a lot less motivated so it's like it's like <laughs> weird it just depends on on what happens but it's interesting okay so then you your freshman year you get these eight medications and at this point you're preparing for your mission so you talk to this doctor guy so you just yeah. kind of postponed it past spring semester right yeah i'm like i'll do it in spring but while i'm trying all these meds um i get like a really clear prompting in november december that I shouldn't serve Mm. and my anxiety shoots through the roof and it's all I can think about and I just am like no this is the adversary like I'm I'm gonna serve like I I can push through this like this is the hardest thing I'm ever gonna do you know like he warned me this is so hard and it's harder than I thought but like I can do this so I just pushed through and pushed through and finally after like three weeks of just constantly having like a voice in my head like it's not right Mm. and like even feeling that in the celestial room because I got in doubt at this time yeah and like, and I even felt that then. And no, I got, I'm sorry. I'm like mixing up all the details. Okay. So it was right before I got endowed that I decided not to serve. Um, and then I got endowed. Yeah. And you thought I reassurance about it. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. All these so how did, how did that decision come up? Like, how did you end up making the decision not to? Because I think, to. I guess, yeah, talk about that first, then I have a follow-up question, Okay, too. this is the first time I decided not to serve. Yeah. This, it's a back-and-forth <laughs> process. So my anxiety just got so bad that, like, I couldn't function with the idea of serving a mission anymore. Yeah. Like, it was just so, like, all-consuming. I couldn't focus on anything else. So finally, I'm like, I'm going to set this aside. Like, I trust God. I'm okay not serving if that means that, like, it truly is his will and this, like, intense feeling will go away. Like, I'm okay with that. So I set it aside, and I decided not to serve. I still wanted to increase that relationship with him, and I still wanted to get endowed because I'd been asking to get endowed since I, I tried to get endowed the week after I graduated high school. And then, <laughs> and then the spirit was very clear, like, oh, okay, let's wait a little bit. <laughs> and when I decided not to serve, it felt like a really clear, like, go ahead from him. And oh. I was really excited, and I'm so grateful that that's how the timing worked out. Um, so then, 
so it was just it was honestly just i just wanted a release that was yeah. a release from like that just relief from the anxiety yeah of the serving and so then i got in doubt and it was incredible and amazing and it just like brought me so much peace and then i prayed for a missionary experience and i was on a date with my boyfriend at the time and we we had tried four different plans for our date and every single thing failed <laughs> so finally we're like let's go to sonic and we've never gone to sonic in our lives we're like let's just go to sonic like i'm done and we show up to sonic and this like homeless man just walks in sonic he sits down across from me he looks at me and he says you look like you know jesus christ can i ask mm. you a question and this is two weeks after i've decided not to serve a mission and i get so excited and i'm like yes please and then like I don't even know what he asked because like all my anxieties and depression just hit so hard and like the voice was just so clear in my head like you're not a missionary mm-hmm. and I and he asked me a question and like I just like started stuttering and I couldn't answer and my boyfriend at the time who was incredible love him to death still think like he was there to help me through this like just started talking to this man like answering his questions I'm silent sitting to the side because like I'm fighting a war inside my head of like you can do this like look at this incredible opportunity like come on and then just like you're not a missionary and he ended up and my boyfriend invited him to come to church and all these things and he just like kept staring at me and like wouldn't look at my boyfriend and he like stopped my boyfriend from talking and he just looked in the eyes and he's like I just want you to know that you are close to Christ and you're doing a great job mm. and I'm, and you're going to be okay. And then he just left <laughs> and I just went back to the car and my boyfriend was like, that's so great. Like you have missionary opportunities and I just start bawling and I'm like, that is proof that I am not a missionary. Mm. And it just, it put me in a really, Sorry, I'm going to come down for a second so that people no, can you're understand good. what I'm saying. You're fine. <laughs> you're fine. Take your time. <sighs> but it just put me in a dark spot for a minute because I just, a big part of my testimony is that everything will work out okay. And a huge part of my testimony is that people can do anything with Jesus Christ. Like, that's really foundational stuff to me. So it was really hard for me to kind of sit with the reality now I realize the reality is that that's just not my plan to go on a mission. And I love that. And I'm so grateful he has a plan and he knows me. But in that moment, it just felt like I was too broken mm. for Christ to carry me through that. Mm. And that was really hard. That's, that's first of all, thank you for sharing. Yeah. For real. So thank you. From, it's interesting because from my perspective, the whole time you're telling that story, I'm thinking, yeah, you don't have to say any words to be a missionary and to have missionary experiences, right? Because I'm sure Bray will agree with me, like having Rachel in the ward, like you just stick out, like you're just a bright personality, a bright person. You're happy, even if you're not happy all the time. Like you're at church and you stand out from the crowd. And that's that's a missionary thing in and of itself. itself yeah. You don't have to say any words to be a missionary. So I know in that time, in the headspace that you're in, it was really hard to, I guess, recognize anything other than, you know, my anxiety is inhibiting me from being a missionary right now. I think you were, in a very real sense, a missionary to that man. I think something that's so important just to point out to your story is that, and it's, it's this question that I, on my mission, everyone asked me 
from the freaking moon and back. My family <laughs> asked me. But it's why do bad things happen to good people? Yes. Right? Yeah. And it's so hard. Especially when intentions are so right. Exactly. You wanted to serve a mission. This was a good thing you were asking God. And, and, and you sought revelation in order to be able to get an answer. And always, there's always, I think we talked about this before, but I'm going to mention it again. It's always, how do I understand that this is the spirit or is this myself? And we do face-to-faces and there's, there's conference talks and stuff and it says, if it's a good thing. It's like, well, that's great because I'm a great person and everything I ask is going to be great, okay? <laughs> but the reality is, is that's not how God functions. Well, he, he does function with good things. I'm not going to say that the prophets are wrong. Um, <laughs> but on the flip side, right. he's, he's going to warn you as well if it's not right. He is. And he's also going to help you understand and receive revelation the way you need it. You needed that excitement to understand that that was the spirit. You needed a way for God to talk to you in your head and kind of shut down so you can kind of talk with him during that moment with that with that homeless man, right? Like these are things that God is putting in our lives to help us through the hard times, I think. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's real life, but or I don't know if that's how you felt. Obviously in this time it was like horrible. Like this is the <laughs> worst feeling I've ever had in my life, right? But retrospectively you can see that. I mean, I can see like on the outside looking in that you were trying the hardest you could to be close to Christ and he still blessed you throughout it. And the homeless man recognizing that you were such a sweet spirit, I think was a blessing as well, you know? Were you, if you're okay with me asking, were you feeling shame at that moment? Like when you were talking to the homeless man? Shame about your inability to express yourself? Yeah, I think at that moment, I still believed that Christ could carry people through anything. Uh And I think that's what hurt, is I just felt I wasn't worthy to be carried by Mm. him. And I think that's Mm. like where just all the shame and hurt came from because I had such a big testimony that missionary work was important, that Christ can let anyone do anything. And so if those two things are true, then it has to be something wrong with me mm-hmm. that I'm not able to serve either in the field or even feeling like in my local Sonic. <laughs> so, I w- and then you feel like you're, you're disappointing God in a way. Like that's your feelings because you have such good intentions and things aren't going right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one thing we can talk about the difference between the Holy Ghost, anxiety, things like that. But one thing that we can be dang sure of is when you're feeling shame, that is not from God. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. Those feelings and those thoughts and words, whatever, however you experience shame, God does not work that way. The Savior does not work that way mm-hmm. at all. That's mm-hmm. that's a for sure thing. Yeah, shame is is a tool from the devil. The devil uses shame in order to make us feel bad about ourselves of the way that we live. But sometimes it's hard to decipher between shame, shame. and like legit anxiety. Yes, yeah. yes. And also, what's the other word? We talked about it before. Guilt or no? Yeah, it's not shame and guilt. We did a story about it. Yes, shame and guilt, but then shame and anxiety and guilt. Like, what's? Yeah. (laughs) How do we just? I want to. I want to ask you that, Rachel. So, how did you, during that time, how did you decipher what was coming from the Holy Ghost, what was coming from your anxiety, and what was coming from shame? It. I think it just took a lot of time. Like I, like I said, I'm kind of an impulsive person, so I like to go quick and I like I like to move forward and have something to do. And so it, it took a lot of effort to realize like I had to like sit and be still and like and like take time. And I realized that the spirit was consistent, but anxiety like shifted a lot. Like the spirit would tell me a really 
consistent message no matter what I was stressed out about or feeling and this was just for me I actually don't know how like this would apply to other people but anxiety would find anything to make me stressed out like Mm. and if I thought through it enough that I wasn't stressed about it then it would pick something else but the spirit like would just help me stay focused on something and that's funny to say that because I do get hyper focused on stuff that's not the spirit but it's like different and and I don't exactly know how to explain it. Do you know the difference though yourself? Like you can feel the difference or like you're aware of the distance or the difference in the moment? Um, now I'm a lot better than before. Like I think <laughs> there's always growth. Like I, for me, like I get a racing heart when I get anxious and when I get the spirit. But if I get a racing heart and it's the spirit, I have a very clear direction of where to go or at least that I need to go. Mm. But sometimes I just get a racing heart and I'm like, I need to be doing something. And I'm like, okay, that's that's like not the spirit because there's not a direction. Yeah. Like the Holy Ghost wouldn't just give you a bunch of energy and say, figure it out, you know? Because God wants you to succeed and he wants you to like, to grow and learn and, and stuff. Yeah, also last week, Sherry was talking about the God's not going to give you a prompting in that moment of anxiety or stress or, yes. you know what I mean? He's not going to... He knows that's going to be confusing for you. He understands that you're not going to interpret that as him. So he's not going to yeah. give it to you at that moment. That's, you know, he's going to give it to you at a moment that that you will understand this is him. Yeah. And you'll understand that he's trying to talk to you. And that's been so like I realized the way I love talking to God is asking a really specific question and, and then like setting up the expectation that like I will wait for you to talk to me and then in life when I feel that anxious moment I've already asked the question I've already set up yeah. a pref like a preface for it and I know where that's leading mm-hmm. and so it's like I ask I want to serve someone like in the ward I or like I'm very specific with it like I want to take someone out to lunch who needs it like help me and then I'm having a conversation with someone and it just hits and I'm like okay yeah. this isn't anxiety this is the spirit because I've talked to God yeah. and we've communicated yeah. and we and it's just awesome how would you on the practical side how would you advise someone what would you say to someone that's struggling with that specific problem right now of deciphering what is anxiety versus what is the spirit mm. i might need to take a minute to yeah, do that. That's, i, just, that's I totally don't want to just go off the yeah. top of my take head. your time something that's been really helpful for me is i know a lot of people are very careful about what they share when it comes to like spiritual promptings and i think that's good because they're sacred but for me i feel like i have just been blessed with the gift to talk about anything and so I'm going to use that and there's been a lot of really helpful times where I've talked through these anxious moments Mm. with my mom or my dad or my roommate and they've just helped me see clearly and I don't think that's the same as asking someone else to get revelation for you but I think Mm. there is real power in taking taking our experiences seriously and talking them through with other people is a great way to show you're taking them seriously and sometimes I talk with someone and they give me advice. And as we're talking, I realize the advice they're giving is the exact opposite of what I feel. Mm. And like, mm-hmm. and that's okay too, yeah. you know? And I, think, and I think for me, at least that's been a really powerful tool because it gives me more time to think through something, which helps with the anxiety. And it just gives me a person to be with, yeah. which is just so good. I'm very much the same. I have to talk out loud about a situation to understand the situation better. Yeah. There's many times where Boy, I'm talking with ever. Aaron. <laughs> there's, there's so many times. I'm just talking with Aaron, and I'm like, like before the conversation we have, I have no idea how I feel about a situation. I have no idea how I'm thinking about a situation or thinking through a situation. Second I talk to Aaron about it, I'm literally talking for 15 minutes. Aaron says nothing. 
But I'm like, oh, I know how I feel about it now, you know, because I have to talk it out loud with somebody that I trust. Yeah. We've had yeah. like hours long conversations with me, like just sticking my head in your car window. Like, <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> you're threatening to run over my foot if I don't leave. I'm like, nope, right? We got to talk about it right now. That's, <laughs> that's happened way too many times. <laughs> no, I think uh, that's powerful though. That is. That's such an, I think that's such a, such a common dilemma that people have nowadays, especially our age with all the crazy big decisions that we make as yeah. 18 to 30 year olds. Yeah. It's a great tool that you use yeah. as other people that you trust. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, so you have this crazy experience with this homeless guy and your boyfriend at the time. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you just feel this dark feeling and then have like from, because at that moment, you already decided you weren't going on a mission. Is that correct? Yeah. But you kind of like were like, ah, I just, I still kind of want to, you know? And mm-hmm. then at that moment, you were like, you're not a missionary. So kind of how did you navigate afterwards? Yeah, what went next? So mission just felt like it was off the table. But it felt like it was off the table because I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And that, and so I just kind of left that moment. I'm like, I'm restarting my testimony. Like, I know Heavenly Father loves me. And I know he's real. I know Jesus Christ loves me, and I know he's real. And that's what we're starting with, and I'm moving forward. And my mom's like, that is a bad idea. Please don't forget everything you know. And I'm like, no, it's fine. We're starting over. <laughs> like, we're, we're going to do this right this time, because apparently I don't understand something. So I just, like, started over, and I just, like, I just decided, like, every piece I was going to rebuild. And as I started rebuilding, like, I just, like, relearned for myself that, like, Jesus Christ can help people do anything, like, all these things. And, it, and I was like oh my gosh, like the spirit was in my life again. I'm like, Jesus Christ can help us do anything. So I re-put my papers in. <laughs> oh, I was my like, land I'm like, we're going to do this. <laughs> like, this is awesome. And so... Was that an impulsive decision for you, do you think? Or was that like deliberate over time you came to that choice? It was that same feeling of anxiety was still there of like, okay. you shouldn't serve. But I had just decided again that it was the adversary. Okay. And I honestly, I'm like, I don't judge myself. I'm proud of myself. I'm like, yeah. great. Like, you're trying you sh- again. Like, you how be. do you pass, Rachel? Yeah. <laughs> keep, yeah. Keep going. <laughs> and yeah. so I think it was a mix. I think it was a lot of stubbornness. And I think it was a lot of, mm. a lot of like, at this point, I didn't care about expectations of other people. Like, it really didn't matter to me mm-hmm. if I didn't serve a mission. Because even though everyone I knew thought I was going to, like, that didn't matter as much. It was more of like, I just want to have a clear understanding of God and I want to have a real relationship with him. And right now that real relationship feels like I should push off the fears of the adversary and move Mm -hmm. forward to do the work. Mm -hmm. And like, and it just made sense to me, even though like my head and heart hurt so much about it. Kind of like a suck it up attitude. Like I'm just going to do it anyways. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And so I kind of just pushed through with it. And until I was, and that like feeling didn't go away for like two months of like living with that until like the night I was supposed to, the night before I put my papers in. And that's when like, I, I'm just going to, I don't know if you guys have more questions, but I'm just going to keep telling this story. No. Okay. I'm like, I feel like I'm talking story. a long time, but. Yeah, we'll stop you. <laughs> okay. Good. And so it was just two months of living with this. And at this point, my boyfriend, who was the ward secretary, had been changed callings to the stake secretary, so he could get me in with the bishop and stake president same day. So he was going to get me like checked off with stake. Life is all about connections. And checked right? off with ward. Yeah, I'm like, my papers are going to be in same day. And I met with, and, we, and I had tried eight medications at this point, and I went, and I literally, I just walked into my 
friend's house because I knew his dad was home. And I'm like, hey, like, it's April at this point. I'm feeling great. Like, we're off meds. I'm off therapy. Like, I'm only going to serve a year and a half. Like, I'll, I can get through two winters. Like, I'm, I did BYU. Like, I, I'm functioning. Like, we're going to be fine. And he was like, oh, I totally agree. I'll sign it off right now. He signed off my papers, put me as a full, like, because, you know, they can do, like, the spectrum. He was like, <laughs> she's fully capable, like, no health concerns whatsoever. And I was like, yes. And just like, <laughs> like I am healthy. <laughs> and I went to the, but the anxiety was like still so strong, yeah. even though like I had felt better, like this feeling. But because I felt better, it was less painful because it was just that instead of like everything else going on, which now looking back should have been a clear sign it was the spirit. But I went to the temple the night before I was supposed to turn in my papers to both, and it was still there. And we're doing ceilings. Um, and the. There's this girl across from me in the ceiling room that just like won't break eye contact with me. Like we're just looking to her whole time, and I'm like, this is so sweet. Like I'm about to make a friend. <laughs> and then the sealer at the time stops in the middle, and he just like makes eye contact with me, and he was like, someone here needs to hear this. And the spirit just like started, you know, like the burning in the bosom. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is okay. I'm ready. And so he just looks me in the eyes, and he was like, Jesus Christ can truly help you do anything. And that had been, like, my theme this whole time. And I just get so excited. And I'm like, hey, you know, we're doing anything. And then he pauses, and he's like, even if it's the hard things you don't want to do. And I was like, missions. <laughs> and I was like, that's what he's talking about, definitely. <laughs> and so we, like, walk away, and I'm, like, kind of excited. I'm like, that's probably what he was talking about. Like, but the stress is still there. And I walk up to the sister room, and I, like, say a prayer. And I'm like, God, you know me. Like, I just want to do what you want at this point. Like, I swear I've shown that, like, I just don't trust myself. And I was just very honest with that. I'm like, I don't trust myself. Mm -hmm. You can't talk to me through my head right now. Like, this is the clear communication I'm having with you. Like, if I need to not serve, please just have someone tell me. And then I went down to the changing room, and that girl in the changing room, we had a long conversation, but, like, shortened it. She basically just gave me a hug and was like, my best friend decided not to serve because she struggles with depression and anxiety. And she has changed the world with the work she's doing right now. I have no idea who you are, but I just want to let you know, like, if you don't serve, it's going to be okay. And you're still going to be able to impact people. And I just started, no, I actually didn't start crying then because I was just so confused. I remember being in, like, shock of, like, who is this girl that, like, and I just, I asked for her number and because I just felt so much love for her and, like, we connected, but... I went out to the car and I was talking to my, see, my boyfriend was here for every step of this, like, <laughs> he was just there, and I told him what happened, and he just got, like, really sad and serious, and he's like, how do you feel about not serving a mission, like, I'm glad you got your sign, and I was like, that wasn't a sign, yeah. like, no, <laughs> like, tell me what is like, going on, no, that is not a sign, I'm turning in my papers tomorrow, and he was like, that, that seems a little not smart. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. <laughs> so we said a prayer together, and I was like, here's the deal. I believe that bishops have, like, power to understand the people they're over and to truly see them. Like, I still don't trust myself, and I don't really know, like, what just happened. So if I'm not supposed to serve, then have bishops stop me. But if not, like, see, this is, at this point, it was pure stubbornness. Like, I just wanted to go so bad. I love it when people give God ultimatums. I know. <laughs> I do I can't, I can't wait to see how this smart. story ends. It is not smart. <laughs> do not recommend. <laughs> and 
then I walk into church the next morning and Bishop catches me right after the meeting. He shakes my hand and he's like, I'm so excited to meet with you like after second hour. I just want to let you know I did cancel the meeting you had with the state president. I was like, and he said, brother. I was like, and I kind of saw it coming, but at this point I was just so excited. I was like, I'm just excited to be done with this. Like, I don't care if I serve or don't serve. I'm exhausted and I wanted to serve because I wanted to do God's will and I'm ready to do God's will. And that is Mm. such a spiritual blessing that Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ let me feel that way. So then I walked in with him. He knew nothing about anything that had happened the past eight months. Like, I was not in contact with him. I was doing all this, like, just kind of on my own. And he was like, I have no idea what it's been like for you to turn your papers in but I just want to tell you something. And he was like, my daughter struggles with anxiety and depression. I was like, is everyone going to tell me this story? (laughs) And she has like, and then told me all the great stuff she's done. And he was like, I have sent off like 30 something missionaries this semester. And you're the first one that I feel like I just don't, I just don't feel comfortable turning your papers in. And I was like, thank you. (laughs) And I just shook his hand. Regardless of the choice, like at least there's clarity, right? Yeah. And that was, that's, I think, a big thing I took away from this is, like, it's so much better just to have clarity mm-hmm. than to have what you want. And that's the way I hope I live my life, is being grateful that Jesus Christ gives me clarity instead I, of... I think that's such a powerful principle. I know on mm-hmm. the Follow Him podcast a couple of weeks ago, I think it was the Easter episode, one of the two Easter episodes, Anthony Sowett was talking about the difference between Garden of Eden prayers and Garden of Gethsemane prayers. And he was saying how Garden of Eden prayers are all like, bless me, bless my family, bless that this situation goes well, like, bless that we never get sick, bless that I pass all my classes, like, all those things. And he's like, that's not the way that the Savior prayed. Like, the Savior prayed in Gethsemane, like, I don't want to do this, but if this is what your will is for me, I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. And I think what you just said, like, clarity is so much better following God's will is so much better than doing your own thing because you're clear on what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Other than the confusion of this decision that you were going to make, what was your motivation to, to follow God's will despite everything? Like, I know you have a very strong testimony and that probably plays a hundred percent into it, but is there anything else that kind of played into like, I just want to follow God's will at this point. Like that is my main motivation. Well, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to say a solid 30% was stubbornness. Like, at this point, I was like, I'm like, I have put in so much work to figure out what's right. Like, I'm going to keep going until I figure out, like, what's right. And I know it's black and white thinking to feel like there's one right answer. But in this situation, I'm like, I feel like there is. Like, I feel like there's two options (laughs) that I feel like there is because of how everything's turned out. But I think a big thing that happened is I had a lot of people ask me why I wanted to serve which no one's ever asked me that before. Like, Hmm. before this year, it was just very clear, like, oh, she's just, you know, like, sometimes people just look and they're like, oh, she's got a strong testimony, you know, even if that's not the case. And so no one really questioned why I wanted to serve. And then it made me really think about it. Like, I'm fighting this hard (laughs) to go out and serve. Like, why do I really want to be there? And when it came down to it, like, I realized the real reason I wanted to serve is because I love God so, like I I truly love God and I don't always read my scriptures like it or pray like it, but like I do <laughs> love him. And I just, I just wanted to help him, you know, like with his work. Yeah, I just wanted to help him with his work. 
kind of repay how good your life has been, right? I exactly. feel like you've expressed that a couple of times. Exactly. I feel really blessed and really privileged, and I just wanted, I just, I just, the Spider-Man thing comes to my head like every day. Like, <laughs> yeah. great power comes great responsibility, and I feel that every day. Yeah, that's and, an eternal principle. And I, I feel think, like it's yeah. a big thing in the church too. I feel like yeah. a lot of church members feel that way. That there's a lot of pressure because, like, we have the truth. We need to share it, you know. And I don't think that's necessarily. Um, a healthy thing when you take it too far and I think Mm -hmm. I had taken it a little too far Mm -hmm. and there was there was just so much peace because the first time I decided not to serve it was because I you know like I'm like oh I'm too broken or too anxious or too depressed yeah and then the second time it was like oh I want to serve God and this isn't the way he has set out for me I'm so excited to see what he has lined up for me that's awesome because you are so much more than a mission you know a mission like i said it's it's my favorite experience i've ever had in my life it's the best experience i've ever had in my life but after my mission i i have been able to serve in so many other capacities and and that is not the only way that god will allow you to serve which you would have been able to serve in regardless of whether you served a mission or not exactly i think it it also kind of underlines the danger of placing your identity in something so, like, a mission isn't necessarily temporal. It's a very spiritual thing. But placing your identity in something so tangible. tangible. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's, it's a dangerous place to be. I think something that popped into my head, I remember our state president, he had this quote one time. I was talking to him, and he said, he's like, throughout my life, I found that when I feel like things aren't really going my way and I'm really confused about whatever, it's because I'm trying to do things my own way hmm. instead of doing things God's way. And when I really get, I guess, intentional and my motivation is real to do whatever will he has for me, mm-hmm. that's when things tend to get easier. And like you said, clarity is easier. Even if it's a harder decision to make, it's easier. Yeah. I talked to him last, two weeks ago, because this, it like came back up for me it, when we had the spring day the like and like what if now is the time to serve a mission I just had that question pop up so I went to go talk to him and he sorry that's funny you brought that up because I was thinking about this but and he, he sat down with me and he just gave me a big hug and he's like I just feel like it'd be so helpful for you to realize that like serving in God's way is serving in simple ways and mm-hmm. like you're gonna have such a meaningful impact the phrase he uses is um, keep it simple, stupid. But I've changed it to keep it simple, sweetheart. I think that's a little more positive. <laughs> but like kiss, like just remember, like you got her to love, you got her to kiss. Like keep it simple, sweetheart. And I just love that. Like that's just so, like truly Christian. And when you turn your life over to God, He's gonna He's gonna use you in so many ways you didn't even imagine were possible, yeah. in ways that you affect individuals' lives, in the simplest and sometimes profound most profound ways yeah how has navigating since then because you're now in our ward uh-huh. hold on let me adjust you're this. a bomb sunday school teacher yes <laughs> so fun. i asked for that call and he didn't know <laughs> like, i would like to teach <laughs> when people ask for callings it's just the best it's just <laughs> so funny gosh <laughs> i wish i could get out of my calling <laughs> You're great. <laughs> just kidding. I really love serving God. <laughs> Bray, we were just hard. talking about God's will and your own will. Did you remember what our conversation just was, okay? <laughs> I don't mean to shame you. Gosh, Aaron. I do mean to guilt trip you, though. 
But I think it's because Aaron's being selfish. <laughs> Anyways, I love God. I love serving him. It's hard sometimes, though. Amen. Well, that's what we've been talking about this whole time. Amen. Yes. It's hard. It's hard. And it's hard because, um, can I, I, we'll get back to your question, but um, it's hard because, at least for me, I, as a missionary, I was, I feel like how you would be as a missionary. Gun ho. 100% in it like if you sin just a little bit you're freaking out of here you know like I was intense okay and probably a little in t- too intense but balance you know when I get off my mission I was very much like I can't be this intense the rest of my life like this is going to drain me till the end of my day and when you get in a calling and you have that you're like 100% all the time like if I'm not doing something towards God today Towards my calling, I'm not serving him. You know that is just, yeah. that is shame, 100. percent It's just you're just super yeah. intense about it, and and then that's how I feel. Anyways, you can cut all that out. Well, but. hey, we were talking to Katie Schwartz like a few months ago, and she yes. says your 100 percent is different on every day. Yes, and yeah. if my 100 percent isn't the same today as it was yesterday, like that's okay. Yeah, facts. I love that so much. Facts, facts. What facts, was the facts. question you asked her? Well, my question was. Um, so you have now served in our ward, been a great Sunday school teacher. You had that whole experience about not serving a mission. You finally are going with it, right? Yeah. Um, and how has, because I, I, this is an assumption, and so please correct me. I'll go for it. But your assumption, or what I'm assuming is like, you just, at this point, you just wanted to do God's will, but you're still like, gosh, like I'm not serving a mission, you know, and it really sucks. And if your identity is kind of like, I'm a non-mission server. I don't know. I don't know how. <laughs> well, we were talking this about works. this a little bit before. Like you go on dates and guys will ask you, like, "Are you an RM?" And you're like, "No." And then and you can just see the look in their face. face. Yeah, yeah. Like they think I'm not as spiritual or close to God or something. And that's I'm like, shameful. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I would be different, but I don't think that's how yeah, that, that works. Yeah, that off so bad. These boys need a freaking knuckle punch to the face. <laughs> knuckle punch. <laughs> <laughs> I could throw something at you right now. Gosh. But yes, that this has been difficult for you ever up into this spot. How have you kind of navigated that and functioned? Yeah. This is the part of the story I don't like to tell as much because it is not as like this. Oh, it's a little embarrassing, but like it works. So the guy I've been dating up until this point, like I, we've been dating for six months at this point and I'm no longer serving a mission. And okay, the first thing in my head is like, what is the only reason that like God wouldn't have me serve a mission? Like, oh my gosh, I'm, I must need to get married. Yeah. That's a, that's a very logical, like, But it's very common, to take, too. Yeah. Yes. And I don't think that's how marriage works, either. <laughs> I really want to put that out there. But that is a little bit where my mind I went. feel like that's a lot of Utah Valley cultures talking right there. It is. Yeah, I've true. been here too long. <laughs> but, and so, I, like, literally, like, two weeks pass, and I, like, bring it up to him. And I'm like, is this something we should be, like, working towards? And oh, I haven't told this to a lot of people, but I was just like, how about next May? Like, let's oh. work towards next May. And like, that's when we're going to get married. And he was like, oh my gosh, okay. Like, I I love that we're working towards that. Like, let's work towards that. And we started doing that. And then, and I spend a week in Disneyland with his family. And then I leave and I spend a week in California just with my best friend, like kind of separate from him. 
and that same exact at this point I know it's the spirit but that Mm. same exact like anxious like that's not the right thing comes in and and I let it be there for a week and a half but at this point I'm so tired of it that like I just I'm like I just went through eight months of like feeling like I'm on the wrong path like I don't want to do that anymore and so I ended up breaking up with him that like so at this point like two three and a half weeks after I don't turn in my mission papers like we break up as well and it just feels like a clean slate and so mm-hmm. all summer <laughs> the spirit is telling me to be patient and be calm and all summer I am trying to start businesses and join nonprofits. <laughs> and like I did so many things where I'd get two steps in the spirit would be a little like wrong path and I knew it so well at this point I was like okay like okay and so so that was really hard but then I just got back into school and I had a Sunday school lesson on it was a religious study lesson actually in this ward about consecrating your efforts and how you can consecrate every single thing you do even if it's like your stats homework or something it's that that, Uchtdorf talk right yeah I think it yeah Yeah. I think it was on that talk and that just changed everything for me and I was like this is awesome like when I am doing homework, I am preparing myself to be a more worthy and useful servant. And I'm like, when I am literally taking a nap, like I am protecting my mental health and my body. And like, and like everything I did just became this way to become closer to Christ. And that I think is what really, like all these big things I tried to do, trying to be a temple worker. I, I talked to my bishop about doing a service mission and got that started. Like I applied and got like a I literally got a leadership position in a nonprofit that I was not qualified to do, but through a miracle, like they just liked me. And I just like ended up canceling all those things. And because I just didn't feel like the closeness to God I wanted. And then it was when I started living the exact way I'd been living, but consecrating everything to Christ and like finding meaning in those little things. Like that's when, like that's when I could finally let go of my mission. Mm, I love this so much I just pulled up that quote because it's one of my favorite quotes ever it comes from 2022 April General Conference Elder Uchtdorf says when we look at our lives and see a hundred things to do we feel overwhelmed when we see one thing loving and serving God and his children in a hundred different ways then we can work on those things with joy I I can't think of any more like concise way to say exactly what you just expressed and i love that that is kind of it's diff it's it's different from like i'm consecrating this mission i'm consecrating this nonprofit organization i'm consecrating my time to this versus i'm living my life in a way of consecration consecrating myself yes and i think that um that is a lot more viable than putting that consecration in an experience for example i think that was one of my biggest blessings for or my biggest like excitements for serving in utah and the states is because i was able to see myself living a life that is very similar to the obedient type of manner i wanted to be because i was in a place i could see myself living you know like i'm not across the country it's not this big like out of body experience it was very close to home you know and i think that's important because um say what you say about living great every day it's hard (laughs) it's dang hard to do it and if we continue to have a mindset of i'm getting closer and closer to god each and every day through this little thing that's not so grandiose it 
it leaves a more impactful way of living i think i don't know if that's oh completely real life but and it's more sustainable yeah like it's more sustainable to find christ in what you're doing than i feel like shove christ into these things that you want to do does that make sense yeah that's very true yeah i'm reading this book right now I didn't tell you about this, but it's called Atomic Habits. I don't oh, know love I it. I love that book. It's clear. I almost, I'm like halfway done with it. I started it yesterday. And <laughs> Give me some deep. It, it is very, because I'm a practical thinker, and I love practicality, and I love when people come on the podcast and talk about practicality, because that's how I live my life. I'm an executor. I'm, yeah. I'm going to be so motivated. Let's execute how that motivation is going to help me, right? Okay, so this Atomic Habits book talks about day-by-day day thinking and the way that you need to think in order to create habits. And I think one way to create good, healthy, healthy habits is with like those tools that he gives with Christ. Create habits within Christ so that it becomes something every day, so that you become this person that can be consecrated that can be you know because god teaches us little commandments at a time so that we can follow them right he's not going to tell us to be consecrated all at once we we should have already started doing it from the beginning when we got endowed you know what i mean yeah and so that's my two cents the second coming <laughs> the second coming is coming get ready i wish you guys could just be in here and see how violently bray is waving her nail filer at rachel and i Stopy. <laughs> I honestly though, like on a serious note, I think this is one of the most important principles we've ever talked about on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Is like the actual practicality of giving yourself to God, consecrating yourself to God. Because mm-hmm. that's such a big task. Like that's a that's a lifetime's work. Right? Yeah. That's monumental. But yeah. how can we do it practically? I think that's one of the most important things we've ever said. And and Rachel talks about growth. She mm-hmm. talks about oh, there's there's room to grow in everything, right? And that's how, very much how I think. There's room to grow in my consecration. There's room to grow within my obedience. There's room to grow within my studiousness for school. You know what yep. I mean? Yeah. Well, I think the last question? I want to share this one quote. This is like two paragraphs down from the one I just barely shared. Because I think it's it's important when we're talking about these things. And we've covered it really well. And I think... We're at a place where we won't shame ourselves for not being, quote-unquote, our best every day or consecrating ourselves the best every day. But Elder Uchtdorf goes on and he says, My dear brothers and sisters and my dear friends, there will be times when you wish you could do more. Your loving Father in heaven knows your heart. He knows that you can't do everything your heart wants you to do, but you can love and serve God. You can do your best to keep his commandments. You can love and serve his children, and your efforts are purifying your heart and preparing you for a glorious future. Mm-hmm. I think the the biggest thing right there is is your efforts, like that effort. The efforts there in Rachel's life; it's been there the whole time. That's beautiful. I love that. That was a good one. Ten out of ten. <laughs> I'm speechless, and that's how you know. <laughs> this has been awesome. Yeah. I need, I needed to have this conversation, honestly. Yeah. Um, well, shall we start? Yeah, dude, send it. Send it. So we ask this question to everyone because um, retros- looking and learning retrospectively is very important. That's why we go through hard things, um, I believe. But what would you want from our whole conversation today? 
if somebody was going through your exact same situation, what is one thing you would like to bring into the light to help them understand and to help them get through that situation? There's so much. Like, God is so good, and Jesus Christ is so good, and he's real. Maybe, can I kind of add to that question a little bit? Maybe this will help. Go for Um, it. That would be helpful. The name of our podcast is Into the Light because of people going through trials in the dark and it kind of being like a silent part of their life. And there's a lot of people who don't want to talk about how they couldn't go on a mission or how they weren't able to go on a mission because of mental health or, or how they chose not to they go chose on a not to go on a mission it, it, and shame can come from that and yeah. that's a big thing shame comes can come from just hiding the thing purely not bringing it and talking about it to people openly um so i guess that with that in mind yeah thank you yeah um this has actually been on my mind like the past two days and so i feel like this kind of like fits but I just have a really strong belief that everything will always work out for the best and I think sometimes that's hard to feel that way if you feel like Jesus Christ if you're not worthy for his love or if you're not worthy to be helped or strengthened by him but I just think if you just truly have the belief that God loves you enough and Christ loves you enough that everything will work out in the best possible way and however anything's going like that's okay, that's the best possible way. Mm-hmm. And like, there's so much hope and peace in that. And you don't have to stress about the reality of the situation because God is in the situation. And so it's going to work out. I love that. That is, that is so pure. Yeah, that was very... And I, and I just want to, I guess, kind of reiterate something that we've said on the podcast before. Like, the very things that you feel like disqualify you from helping other people are the qualifiers that help you help other people in the most profound ways, in ways that nobody else in the whole world could. Mm-hmm. So I know that there's going to be people that listen to this podcast and will be helped because you went through that experience mm-hmm. and have come out the other side. Yeah. Thank you for sharing it. Thanks so for letting much. me talk about it. This is like <laughs> me and Aaron talk about like, uh, maybe it's coming up on a year on the podcast. Maybe <laughs> we don't continue. But episodes like this, I'm just like. Yeah. I'm so uplifted right now. It real. is so beautiful. So thank you for for coming on and sharing and being vulnerable with us. Um, if you guys liked Rachel's episode today, <laughs> we have many. Rachel, where can they follow you? I don't have any. Okay. <laughs> she doesn't have any. Any. Follow That's, this podcast. Follow the podcast. We'll have Rachel on again sometime. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we also want to kind of know what you guys think about Rachel's episode as well as... Um, some other things that you feel like aren't into the light and need to be brought into the light because that's yes. what we're here to do. We love to hear feedback, reviews, yes. anything. But we love you all. We love y'all. <laughs> Thanks again, Rachel. This is awesome. We'll catch y'all next week. Bye.